Welcome to Education Beat. I'm Ann Vasquez, CEO of EdSource. Painting, music, dance, theater, all of these will be growing their presence in California schools. Voters last year passed Proposition 28. Known as California's Arts and Music in Schools Initiative, it guarantees an annual funding stream for music and arts education that equals 1% of the state's general K-12 spending. That's about $1 billion this year. Art benefits kids by teaching them self-awareness skills, collaboration, communication, self-expression, learning to see the world in a different way. How can arts engage students and help them grow? And why does it matter? Here is this week's Education Beat with host Zadie Stavely. Alison Gamlin first fell in love with theater when she was three, when her grandma took her to a Japanese puppet show of Macbeth. But when we say puppets, we think like Sesame Street or like your hands in a sock. But these were like many people operating these giant like monsters almost playing witches and it was, you know, pow the power and the murder and the guilt and the shame and all of the things that go on in this story. And everything was larger than life. I knew that that was the world that was meant for me. In middle school, Allison took drama class and her love for theater was renewed. I had a drama teacher who would teach us these improv games that just seemed to bring out these magical things in people and I was so shy and I was so insecure and I was so caught up in my own head and editing every move I made, but I wasn't shy on stage. On stage, Allison felt alive, empowered. She went on to study theater in college. Afterward, she began living in LA. She was working part-time jobs and auditioning for parts and barely scraping by. And she had a young daughter who she was raising alone. And I remember sitting in my backyard, watching my daughter just kind of run around, float around. She, had, she was wearing antennas and butterfly wings and a tutu and rain boots, and she's just playing. And I'm, I had no family with me. I had no support and I had no money. And I remember thinking, I can't even go buy a cup of coffee. So I sat there wondering and thinking, what can I do? Like, what else is out there for me? where I can still act, but and where I can get a steady paycheck in a creative field. A memory from childhood popped into Allison's head, how she used to play with her siblings. I would always play Annie with them, and I would, of course, be Miss Hannigan. And they were all the orphans scrubbing my mom's hardwood floors, which she was not happy about. Or I was organizing my like neighborhood friends into a production I remember times in college where people would ask me to help them with their scene or their monologue or ask me my ideas. I realized right then that I wanted to try to become a high school theater teacher. So Allison decided right then and there to move back home with her parents in the Bay Area, go back to school and get a teaching credential in arts education. She taught for 15 years in middle schools and high schools in the Bay Area. And now she's the Visual and Performing Arts Coordinator for the San Mateo County Office of Education. Part of that job means helping schools implement our new state arts and music in schools initiative, Prop 28, which Allison is really excited about. 
There's always been such a deficit mindset around arts funding, and now we're in a place of abundance. So that is unprecedented. It is amazing. This is Education Beat, getting to the heart of California schools. I'm Zadie Stavely. This week, painting, music, theater, ceramics, all coming to a school near you. My colleague Karen D'Souza is covering arts education for EdSource, including the rollout of Prop 28. And she recently wrote about Allison Gamlin. This story will come out soon on edsource.org. Hi, Karen. Hey, Zadie. So tell us more about Prop 28. It's called the Arts and Music and Schools Initiative. Tell us, you know, what does it do and when does it start? After Proposition 13, there was very, very little money for the schools. And so people just whacked at things. And there was kind of a misapprehension, I think, that the arts are a luxury, that you don't really need the arts. So, you know, many, many places just cut them. Previously to that, there was arts in the schools. It is actually part of the California uh, public education mandate for there to be a comprehensive arts education. It's just like no one really does it and no one really enforces it. So Prop 28 brings sort of everything back full circle. Schools up and down the state can use the money, you know, basically as they wish in terms of the arts. There are a couple stipulations. The money is primarily for staff as opposed to materials. And when will it start? It's supposed to be starting, you know, at some point later this fall it is a lot of money and a big program that the CDE is not used to administering. Um, So I think (laughs) there will be some obstacles there in terms of the rollout. It's going to take a couple years, I think, honestly, to work out all the kinks. Also, I talked to a lot of arts educators when I first got on this beat who hadn't quite believed it was going to happen. Like the proposition passed, but they were like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll wait till the check reaches the school because they don't believe it because they've had, you know, so much hardship for so long that they don't believe that there will be funding. So um, I think you hear the words transformative a lot in the education space. And a lot of times that's hyperbole. I think this time around, it's not actually hyperbole. I think it could make a real difference um, in the lives of a lot of kids up and down the state. Okay. And tell me, why did you decide to write about Allison Gamlin? What do you think her story can tell us about like arts education in general and this new arts and music in schools initiative? Yeah, I mean, I think her story also really exemplifies how how starved the marketplace has been for arts education. I think the statistics are like maybe 11% of California kids. Some studies say 20% of California kids. But really, it's a tiny minority of kids who've had um, access to arts education. So it's kind of an equity issue. It tends to be wealthier districts um, or individual families paying for classes for their kids. And um, with more and more arts education with Prop 28, people like Allison can actually get paid to do the work that they might have done previously as volunteers and for free. And if you are an artist, um, Allison is an actor. You know, it's often survival wages, scraping to get by, doing it because you love it. Um, she told me that when she started out and her daughter was little, they were on food stamps. It was really a struggle to survive. So having a job, like a regular steady day job with a pension and benefits, is a miraculous thing for artists. And in California, I mean, we're blessed that there are many, many, you know, visual artists, performing artists, dance artists, musicians everywhere um, who could use a job, really. So the expansion of Prop 28 means there'll be thousands and thousands of jobs for folks like Allison. And that's fairly amazing. 
Allison has seen firsthand how many schools have lacked funding for strong art programs. When she first started teaching, funding had mostly been slashed, and she got a pink slip every spring for about five years. A pink slip is a notification that a teacher might not have a job the following year. As a single parent, raising a child and having the rug pulled out from you every March was terrifying and infuriating. But she's also seen how more funding can help schools reinvigorate their arts programs. One San Mateo County measure allowed schools to renovate high school theaters so they could rent them out to professional organizations. We went from having our main auditorium, which was a cement and metal box. And if you know anything about acoustics, it is a nightmare, right? You'd be hearing someone singing on stage, but then you'd hear them in the speakers like three seconds later. There were centipedes, there were rats. It was hell. And then like a a year later, it was all acoustically tricked out, carpets, the whole, I mean, it was just absolutely like phenomenal professional quality. Karen, was there anything that really stood out to you about Allison? Gosh, there's a lot of things that really impressed me about Allison Gamlin, um, to be honest. But I think maybe mostly because during the pandemic, she was teaching, you know, online Zoom classes and noticed that a lot of her students, it was a theater class, were becoming disengaged and turning off their videos and playing video games. And she started to worry about their emotional health. And she tried to um, to offer like optional in-person uh, rehearsals in the park near their school. Allison says a lot of kids showed up. People were like double and triple masking. We were 100 feet apart from each other playing improv games and practicing our theater skills, but they got to actually practice with real people. I had freshmen in that play, in that group, who had never met any high school classmates in real life. And here they are showing up in this park, meeting each other. I'm like, oh, you're tall and you are four feet tall and you're in the same scene together. Cool. Okay. It was just it was silly. It was fun. They all dressed up like it was the first day of school. I There was cologne happening. Like it was a party. Karen, I noticed that you focused on this story in your article. What was so moving to you about it? You know, she really went uh, above and beyond at a time when I think a lot of people were terrified, right? And she put her fears aside to try and to reach out to the kids. And that really exemplifies to me what a lot of arts educators and I guess actually just educators in general is it's not a job. It's really an avocation. They'll do anything to try and reach out to the kids. And I thought that was really moving. So what can parents and students and teachers and everybody expect to see in schools? Well, now, the interesting thing is it'll vary. I mean, the notion behind this proposition was that each school has a different cohort and different needs. So you can decide to do whatever your community decides to do with that money. It could be digital arts. It could be ancient Indian dance. You know, and the the notion is really like talk to the kids, talk to the parents, see what everyone wants to do. And it might change. You know, you might start with one program and a few years later, kids are different and have different needs. And that's okay too. So it really can run the gamut. And the thing for parents to know is now is the time to have input. Allison says it's really important for schools to ask parents and students what they want. Maybe it's a certain dance form. Maybe it's taiko drumming. Maybe it's baile folklorico. Maybe it's bringing in hip hop dance or hip hop music. Then I think it's, it's great to look for opportunities. Do we have a theater room that's just being used as a storage area for like chairs and tables? Right. Like that's an opportunity right there. Do we have a couple of carts of computers that can be used to bring in 
digital photo or digital video to students, there's an opportunity there. One of the hopeful things educators are, are aiming for is that you know, there's been a real fall off in engagement, family engagement and community engagement. Schools really used to be a place where everybody congregated in, you know, because of COVID and, and a lot of other factors, people don't feel that way anymore. Um, I think last year was the first year in a long time we were invited to be on campus at my kid's school. And I realized it had been like three years and just like walking through the halls was this really emotionally powerful experience. And I thought, you know, if I feel that way, I think probably a lot of families feel that way. They don't feel like they've been invited back into the fold, especially now post-pandemic. There are a lot of kids with a lot of trauma. And I think the arts have long um, proven to be kind of a a linchpin of social emotional learning and wellness and recovery. Okay, so that is actually a really good segue into my next question. So why should we care about arts education? And I'm asking that because... You know, I think people often think about arts as sort of an extra thing. And it's talked about kind of like, if we can't even teach kids how to read or do math, then why should we teach them art? Like, first, we have to do the basics. And then what ends up happening is that art gets left out of schools where test scores are lower or um, schools with mostly low-income students or Black and Latino students, you know, students in special education. So why do arts matter? Yeah, I think, I mean, in some ways it's a it's a misapprehension. I mean, if you look at historically in a classical education, arts was always part of a comprehensive education. So from a purely academic standpoint, there have been countless studies about, say, music education leading to greater um, mathematical scores. Um, and that's been, I think, known for decades. Recently, I've heard there's also a real connection between reading achievement and music education. In addition to the academic boots, there's also just engagement. Like low-income children who have exposure to the arts are five times less likely to drop out of school and three times more likely to go to college. So for some kids, I talked to um, some folks who worked in Chula Vista, which is a a high immigrant, low-income community, and they have a comprehensive arts education program there. And they said, you know, there were kids who were really acting out and they were considered problem kids and they had behaviors. And sometimes the only reason they kept coming to school was the arts class. That's what made them come back on campus every day. And eventually, you know, the hope is to sort of build so much positivity around the school experience that they're more open to the rest of it. Because I think over time, if you are struggling academically, the school can become a place you dread going. And it's about making it seem like a a fun place to go. You know, actually, Allison talks about being a shy kid, but she wasn't shy on stage. And I noticed that the former superintendent of LAUSD, Austin Butner, also said something to you about like being able to play music in front of thousands of people before he could speak publicly in front of tens of people. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, and also I think uh, the arts are just it's I think it's really for anyone who feels kind of left out for one reason or the other. Like so maybe you're shy and someone hands you dialogue and now you can be a star or like I was the child of immigrants. I always felt kind of out of place. And, and the arts was my tribe, right? Like I found my people. And once you find your people, you can find your voice and not be as scared, whatever it is. And, and I think that that's one of the main hopes now, because so many kids have social anxiety and, you know, got out of the habit of sort of face-to-face um, relationship building, that the arts can be a good way to sort of ease back into that. Allison says the arts absolutely can be connected to other subjects like literacy, math, science, and history. If we're doing a play, I'm going to teach my students about Greek tragedies and the the concept of the tragic hero and how the Greeks had such an impact on 
theater and on screenwriting. When my students are going through their script, they are highlighting, they are making notes, they are annotating their script the same way they might work in an article or in a novel in their English class. They're learning real life history. If my students are doing costume designs and measuring other actors or working on budgets for our costumes, they're working on math. Karen, you've written about some of the challenges to implementing Prop 28. Can you share some of those? Yeah, there's a real range. I mean, it is a huge program. And I think also because so many schools had cut the arts completely, they're starting from scratch. There's no institutional knowledge and no one knows what to do or how to do it, which is unfortunate, right? Some schools, you know, retain some arts programming. So that's going to be easier. If you have nothing and you don't know what to do, I think there can be a lot of uncertainty. Um, And some really small schools, because it is based on the amount of kids you have, you know, aren't necessarily getting enough money to hire a full-time arts educator. I talked to a principal in Richmond who's getting about enough money for half an arts educator. And so he's putting money from his own budget, which is obviously strained to make this happen. But he's doing it because he believes that the arts have had such a powerful impact on his kids that it's worth it. He's not even, interestingly enough, going for a specific arts discipline. He's not going with dance or music or whatever, digital imaging. He just wants to find any great artist who wants to like, has the right personality for his kids because he believes any art can be really um, enriching. But there are lots of challenges for sure. Some of it is like, when will the money land? And then the rules, like in terms of auditing your use of the money. Got it. You were talking earlier about how this is going to add a bunch of jobs for artists who often need more stability. But do you have to have a teaching credential? Um, It's interesting. So you don't actually have to have a teaching credential. And that's sort of one of the ways to get around. There's a huge teacher shortage, obviously. But there has to be a credential teacher in the room. So you can use working artists, but I know the goal with this is over time, there will be more uh, credentialed teaching artists because there have been no jobs for them. There have been no programs to train them. There's been no one in the pipeline. You know, all these years have been very, very, very few arts educators coming out into the field, but hopefully all of that will change once it becomes clear to everyone that there are actually thousands of jobs so you can do your art and be an arts educator as well. Allison says she's seen the arts open students' minds and change their perspectives. I got to experience so many examples of this in theater when when you play a character, you need to think about where they're coming from. How old are they? What time period are they living in? What's the political climate? What's the social climate? What's their personality? What are their likes and dislikes, their fears and their strengths? If you're in a video production class, or if you're even, if you're drawing or painting or taking photos or playing music, you become, you see the world in a different way. She says she knows arts education changes students' lives, mostly because they've told her that themselves. I still get messages on social media from students that say, Miss Gamlin, When you mentioned to me that I did a good job or that I had a comedic gift or that I was a really good writer or I was a great team player, that stuck with me. And I was feeling so bad about myself that day or that week or that month or that year. You were the only adult in my life, teacher in my life, person in my life who believed in me and you changed me. I just have so many examples of students who 
constantly achieve things they never thought possible because we as their teachers, we see things in them that they don't see in themselves. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Education Beat, getting to the heart of California schools, a production of EdSource. You can find Karen's story at edsource.org. Our producer is Kobe McDonald. Special thanks to our guests, Allison Gamlin and Karen D'Souza. Our CEO is Anne Vasquez. Our theme music is from Blue Dot Sessions. This episode was brought to you by the William and Flora Hewlett Foundation and the Heller Foundation. I'm Zadie Stavely. Join us next week and subscribe so you won't miss an episode.